Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is episode 105 of the show. We're going to be talking about The Village with our friend Rachel Kennerly of Cannabis Heals Me, and uh, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie, and it should be uh, the twist will be discussed, and we will give our twist on the twist, and uh, welcome to the show, Rachel. This is uh, going to be found at lastnighters.com slash 105. Where can people find you? Thanks, guys. Oh, the show can be found out at CannabisHealsMe.com. If you want to look for us on Facebook or social media, Facebook is Facebook.com slash MJHealsMe. And then Instagram is at CannabisHealsMe. I like that. MJ heals me. <laughs> well, you can't use cannabis on Facebook. Oh, so yeah. Had, yeah. So I had to use that instead. Yeah, the market finds a way. All right. That's right. Very good. And you, of course, were our guest for um, Harold and Kumar, quite appropriately. And also Zombieland. And uh, we always have a great time with you on, so we're happy to have you back again. And I think you had mentioned uh, uh, while we were recording Zombieland that The Village was the next one you wanted to do. So here we are. So why don't you, can you open with why did you suggest this one? And then we can get into the uh, Google description and start talking about it. I guess I suggested it because people always tell us, well, if you don't like it here, go move somewhere else. And so that's kind of what these people did. They didn't like it where they were. So they packed up and left and went somewhere else or, you know, kind of created their own country. And so it just seemed to kind of feel cool to do for a libertarian paradise, even though that's not what this place was. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And now I had not seen it before, especially when, um, I mean, I saw it, you know, of course, recently to do this show, mm-hmm. but when you suggested it, I had not seen it. So I wasn't really sure what, what the angle was going to be. And now I, now I think I have an idea. Um, but y- it's of interest that you say, well, if you don't like it, leave. And we get that all the time. We get told to move to Somalia. And Robert mm-hmm. just mentioned in the pre-show, which is available for our Patreon supporters, that he wants to do Captain Phillips, which I think is related to Somalia. So it has can, Somali pirates in it, yes. Yes, we can get into that at some point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that is an interesting um, take on this. And uh, it's, you know, spoilers, right? Everyone everyone has hopefully seen this movie. M. Night Shyamalan is, of course, oh, known oh. for having a twist in his films. And... So I wouldn't want to like spoil the twist, but you know, this is, this is out there. So anyway, um, let's get into the Google description, shall we? Yeah. All right. Big cheers for the Google description. Woo, Google! Yeah! All right. Google says the village came out, uh, 2004 as a drama fantasy, fantasy film, one hour, 49 minutes, PG 13, 6.5 IMDb, 43% Rod tomatoes. Roger Ebert hated this movie, gave it a one out of four stars. That was probably too many. Uh, and 83% of Google users like it. The description is an Amish style community lives cut off from the outside world by the woods in which they believe dangerous creatures exist. They have an uneasy truce with the creatures. If they stay out of the woods, they are left unharmed. When one of the young villagers becomes ill, the boy who loves her ignores the elders of the village to make a bid to the next town to fetch medicine. Came out in July 30th, 2004. Director and screenplay, writer, producer and everything is M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, of course, famous for uh, the Sixth Sense and Signs and a uh, b- b- bunch of other movies, but they all have like a unique twist in them. Uh, the budget was $111.6 million and it made $256.7 million. Uh, Robert, I will go to you for your initial reaction and then we'll go to Rachel. Well, this is from a time in the Shamhammer's career when he was putting a twist in all these movies. And I, I, I think if you have a keen, even a not so keen eye, in terms of economics and economic rules, you would detect the twist early on in this film. Um, 
it's it's it you get the idea or you get the sense you actually it's presented to you that this town is isolated that they don't do any kind of trading or anything and yet you never see them producing stuff but you see them having a lot of stuff like throughout the movie i was going well where would you get the oil for all those lamps where would you get the stones from the what quarry are you guys working who's who's the leather worker that's making the shoes and you know who's who's the glasswork guy i mean where where where's all the stuff coming from so either it's like some sort of conjured into being place which it sort of is or they're just kind of ignoring economic realities but actually i think the movie does a good job in explaining why it is the way it is even though the the people themselves like they don't seem to have a plan going forward. Like, I don't know how long this place has been in existence, but you would eventually run out of stuff. Like every scene should involve somebody knitting something or crocheting something or weaving something or making something. I mean, without the benefits of modern technology and time-saving devices, you're going to be scrubbing your clothes all the time. You're going to be out in the fields shucking corn or whatever for the night's meal, but we don't see any of that. I mean, where did the China come from? Who's the silversmith making the silverware? You don't see any of that stuff. And I understand he's telling a story. He's not showing the economic realities of life in 1901 or 1890 or whatever the actual time of the places that they wanted to go back to and pretend it was, but all that stuff would be a reality. So even as the movie, you know, as the reality of the film is, is that there's like a billionaire, he's got all this money, and he wants to create this preserve where they can pretend it's you know a long time ago. So they build it as if it was a long time ago, but you would eventually run out of stuff. Unless everybody's an expert at whatever, without the time-saving devices, you would just run out of crap. So you get the idea that you're it's at least been about 20 years, because what, like the oldest kids, like 20 something maybe. So where's all the stuff? Where are the storerooms filled with lamp oil? You know, clothing. I, anyway, so yeah, the 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 it's kind of telegraphed that you're like, this is either some sort of a made up place or something else is going on here because they're totally ignoring the economic laws. But, um, oh, I had one other thing I was going to, I wrote it down in my notes. I've got it. Oh, oh, oh. I think this movie can be summed up in five words, five words, because these people kind of make themselves into this government. It's like a de facto government. So I think this movie should be known as the tyranny of good intention, because these people They've all had horrible things happen to them in their lives. Like someone they love has been brutally murdered or whatever. And they just want to like eject themselves from society. And in doing so, they want to create this perfect world of their own making. But in the same sense that we can, libertarians would have to deal with like covenant communities and like consent. They don't deal with consent in a libertarian way with their children. They don't go like, well, we live in this place and do you want to live here too or whatever? You know, they're just like, there are monsters that are going to kill you if you leave. It's a, it's a pretty horrific idea. It's a great idea for a film, I think. I think it's a really cool concept. Um, but of course, it's not, it's not libertarian in any way. And uh, these people are tyrannical. They, um, they act as a state. I mean, they indoctrinate their children in the school. They're, one of the very first scenes is them rewarding one of the little girls for repeating one of the lies that she's been taught, you know, so that's, that's how they propagate your, you know, continue the propaganda. It's, it's actually a quite brilliant film in the sense that if you got lies, you want to get them young and you want to reward them for repeating those lies. And uh, it's a, it's, it's, I think it's a really cool movie, but anyway, 
take it from what I've said. All right. Well, that, that's, um, <clears throat> that's a really good take. And having not seen it before, I didn't even like consider how did this come about because I didn't know what the turn was yet. So I just assumed that we were dropped into, you know, 18, whatever. And this is just how they live. Very Amish style. So I wasn't really too concerned with, well, where did the oil come from? Where did the leather come from? Where did the glassware come from? And all that stuff. But that is an interesting um, angle to take because you're right. That all would have had to have been pre-existing because they're not demonstrating any ability to create any of this stuff. I mean, they have livestock that uh, they use to um, perpetuate the lie by torturing those animals to death, which is kind of crazy. Um, and there's a, there's a whole lot to unpack in this, of course. But let's go to uh, Rachel with your take on uh, Google description and Robert's uh, opening information here. Well, I thought I thought Robert kind of nailed it. I watched it back in 2004, 2005 when it came out in my status days and had no concept of economics or, and I was like, you know, I was just kind of watching the movie, not watching it from a, trying to pick it apart. But even still, I, I don't think I would have ever thought about it in the frame of reference that I have now where I'm, I'm doing like Robert did. And I'm like, okay, you know, they have a, a social garden. Well, that didn't work very well for the pilgrims when they came to the, to the United States. I didn't see any shops in town. It was just all houses. And they didn't trade with any outside, any outside towns. Well, and then my my question was, well, why'd they even tell the kids about the other towns anyway? If you're gonna lie to the kids, why not just lie all the way and say, hey, we're we're the only people on the face of the earth? Why even mention the other towns? Maybe yeah. that was just part of their telling telling the people, the kids, to fear the other towns people. That's another boogeyman that they can put out there to talk about how evil they are, but. It was, um, I enjoyed rewatching it, having an, uh, fresh eyes or new eyes to look at it. Cause I kept thinking, well, maybe they're getting drops in the woods. And I just forgot about that when I, from when I first watched it, but no, I mean, everybody's clothes are really nice and, you know, I didn't see them growing hemp so or cotton so that they could make their own clothing or see anybody that was making clothing or, you know, a blacksmith or anything like that. So, and, and then it just, the way they use fear to control the population. It was just like, whoa, that's, you know, that's kind of what our government does as well, is it uses fear and half-truths and outright lies to to get us to do what they want us to do. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good take. And I'm sure that was not an intentional um, allegory for M. Night uh, to even bring that to bear. But as Robert mentioned, you know, they're propagandizing the, the kids in the school uh, in the film. And yeah, that's basically what happens in, uh, in real life here. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, um, this came out in 2004 and Vox of all outlets claimed that, uh, in their review, and I think it was maybe shortly after it came out. So it wasn't like a, in the theaters review, but a, maybe a retrospective. They said that they saw this as an allegory for the lies that got us into the Iraq war. This is back when the left was a little bit more anti-war mm -hmm. and, I'm not sure exactly what their angle is. I've got the article and I will post it on our show notes page, but I'm wondering if it's related to, you know, like the babies and incubator story, which turned out to be a lie. It was like a coached um, daughter of one of the ambassadors who came in and gave that story or the uh, yellow cake or the, you know, weapons of mass destruction or whatever. Um, all these lies that were used to gin up war and we're on the precipice of, of more uh, with Iran. And, and I guess the latest thing was the embassy in Baghdad, which, Ron Paul back in 2011 said, Hey, it's a bad idea to put one there. They're spending like a billion dollars on the thing. And now there's, um, you know, now there's an uprising in a, uh, against the occupation. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be used as another excuse for empire to grow. 
So I don't know how I got on this tangent. But <laughs> well, I could see that being the I could see that being the case. I mean, governments, if they, you know, if there isn't a handy enemy, you're an enemy handy, they'll they'll create one. So that's what these people do in this movie is they don't have a boogeyman, so they create a boogeyman and they act it out as the boogeyman. So well, I thought it was ironic that they created these monsters, yet gave the people no way to defend themselves against these evil monsters. The watchmen on there's no weapons in the town. And the watchmen on the towers, all they can do is bolt themselves in and ring a bell. And so they just all go and hide. So I, I guess they're pacifists in that respect. I guess because so many of their loved ones died at the hands of violent people. But even though they have made, you know, nobody probably even knows what a weapon is, even though they don't have weapons in this town, somebody still ends up getting stabbed, even though there are no, you know, guns or any other sort of weapons. Yeah, you're going to need to bend that noise, Governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, at one point, um, William Hurt does tell his daughter that her grandfather was shot, but you know, with a gun. But it's not clear that she even knows what that is. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But yeah, it was mentioned by all of the elders. I think at some point that each of them had some violence perpetrated against one of their relatives, and so I guess that is the the point of why they settled in this area and tried to live this Amish style life, this create this utopia to be free from violence. And there's a very telling line when William Hurt's character says, "I we need to do something now because a crime has been committed. Because the point was to get away from crime, but now they've actually had one happen. And so that's why he's willing to send his daughter off, who's blind, by the way. Yeah. Uh, which I guess you kind of need that to make sort of the story work or to feel the tension. But it seemed like a very bizarre thing for that to be, I don't know. Like if you're William Hurt and your daughter's blind, are you really going to send her off into the woods <laughs> to try to go find medicine? It's no, totally- here's what I would do. Here's what I would do if I'm William Hurt. I go to the next town or whatever, go to the ranger station and grab some antibiotics. And then I come back and I'm injecting them into Joker. And I say, look, our prayers have worked. He's yeah. cured. Yeah, because he owns that place, right? Like it's, yeah. his, it's his preserve. And then you can say, you know, your 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 prayers worked and, you know, um, God has healed this guy and, you know, everything's good and happy again. I, I don't see why you have to in, induce this extra element of risk into your little covenant community by throwing your, your, your blind daughter out into the wilderness. Right. Now, what I didn't understand with her falling into the hole, which, of course, becomes relevant shortly later, but was the hole just a random sinkhole or was it one of the elders traps or things to prevent people from leaving. I mean, was this just some natural occurrence and she happened to fall into it and she happened to remember where it was. And then so crazy dude is going to fall into it. I think it was M. Night Shyamalan. I think it was (laughs) Shyamalan writing himself into a corner and not figuring out how to end the movie. I don't know. I I don't think it's that great of a, of a thing. Honestly, it was a bit convenient for me too. Mm. And when she fell and was able to catch herself, I just thought of the Princess Bride. She's got very good arms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about how this is maybe an allegory for how the state treats citizens or the populace in a way to where they want to keep us in fear and keep us um, looking to them as our protectors, our benevolent overlords, uh, that we need them to solve all of the ills of the world. They are the solution. They're the first thing to come to to try to resolve any conflict or, or any issue. And I think that that comes through in, um, at least during my school age education, I was left with whenever there was a problem in society, 
Robert and I used to sit on his basketball court figuring out like how to solve problems. We were like, well, you got to go to the government for this or have the government do that. I remember a friend of ours uh, had a, um, I guess, a mental health mini crisis and we didn't know what to do. So we called the state. We we're like, hey, police, you know, what do we do here? And they said, oh, you know, we'll treat this totally anonymously. We'll, you know, intervene and, and make sure that your friend's okay. And they call us back and it's like, they told our friend everything. They said it was us that we cared about him and all this stuff. It was like freaking amateur hour. They did exactly the opposite of everything that they said they were going to do. But it was because there was no like seemingly available viable alternative other than mm. the state. And I see them doing that in this movie. And they're they're keeping the the kids who grew up there um, ignorant of what is truly out there in the world. And it's it's like Robert said, it's for good intentions, you know, for the greater good or whatever. But the unintended consequence is their socialist utopia here is going to fall apart. And it's uh, it's a terrible situation. I think that the end result is very bad. And they um, they want to use the the deaths to perpetuate the lie even further. They're like, well, at least he the crazy guy died. And now we can use his death as a warning to others to continue oh, yeah. to perpetuate the lie. The ending is horrific. The ending is terrible because they don't learn anything. They don't learn their lesson. They're yeah. just like, yep, let's just keep this thing going. Crank it up. This is fantastic for us. We'll yeah, use did. this. We'll use this tragedy. I mean, never let a tragedy go to waste, right? That's what every politician says. So this is, this is this is a politician doing politician stuff. Yeah, that's the Rahm Emanuel line. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, there uh, you go. And they do actually mention it. They're like, okay, we're the elders. We've been doing this for a while. Who's going to be the next to take up the mantle? And they said, well, it's going to be Joker. And um, Daredevil, because they're the two like most capable, I guess, or the most, you know, befitting to be elders the next in line, because the elders have been doing this since, I guess, the 70s. Right. That's the picture of them all in front of the insane asylum or crisis center or whatever with that old station wagon. It's them younger before they went into the woods, had their kids and tries to tried to raise them as if it was 200 years prior or 100 and 150 years prior or whatever. Uh it just seems like, okay, the whole idea seems like if you're going to base it on, you have to dress up in crazy costumes and scare people and then hide the costumes and never be discovered and none of this ever come out. It just seems like a bit risky. Like someone's going to fuck up somewhere. Yeah. It's a you could just electrify the fence. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then when uh, when they go to the guard shack and M. Night Shyamalan does his Hitchcockian, um, you know, appearance, little cameo whatever in the in the mirror or the reflection of the glass uh, he says oh yeah you know they spent a fortune keeping the airplanes away from here mm -hmm. the AA off I'm like well why would you do that why wouldn't you just say oh look there's a sky beast or whatever the fuck your you know your mythological like lie is like work it into it yeah the metal that sky would be returned yeah yeah you could probably do that i mean anytime you're telling that many lies you want to avoid questions but you know, then you're a you're a smart guy and you got smart kids. And I, I like that Hurt eventually says, you know, what do you want to do? Live forever? We got to get this going. You got to move it on to the next generation and help perpetuate the lies that we're going to tell. Um, but it is it's still risky because the kids could reject it. The kids could say, no, this is all bullshit lies. How could you dare lie to everybody? And as soon as one person finds out, they could tell the whole village and then the jig is up. Yeah. And then what do you do? And, and they were so committed to it, even though it's that as tenuous as we were just talking about, but they're so committed to it that they let the seven-year-old kid die for lack of medicine uh, in the opening, right? Yep. And that's one of the elders. One of their children. 
Yeah, one of the elder children, and and he's like, well, the lie is that important, more important than my son's life. So we're not going to allow anyone to go retrieve medicine for him. When it could have been as simple as freaking Batman, William Hurt, just hitting the the button, going down to the Batcave, and Alfred brings up some freaking medicine. If he's yeah, didn't, or have some hidden under the floorboards or whatever. I mean, right. you, you're, you're, you're already telling lies. Why are you why are you stopping at that lie? I mean, well, it could be like manna from heaven just falls from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we prayed for it. It appeared or hey, right. I have magical healing powers, uh, whatever. Doesn't matter. You're making this whole thing up. So, yeah. And, yeah. and the other thing, like, OK, why go with the Amish vibe? Why not just be like. Hey everyone, we're moving to this preserve that has armed security and we're walled in and we're going to live this way and we're going to accept deliveries because I'm a millionaire billionaire guy and we're going to buy what we need when we need it. And no, money is evil, Daniel. Come on now. And we're not going to engage with people other than that, other than, you know, receiving trade. No, uh, money is evil, but it funds their entire utopia. They purchase this land, they've got armed security guards that surround it. They've paid off government people to keep their lie going or whatever, but it's still evil for some reason. I wonder how much money is actually left. How would you have to invest that money in order to cover the salary so that you don't run out of money before you your grandchildren die or whatever? That's what I kept wondering as I watched it this time around, especially seeing the security guards. And it's like, OK, we have a guard check every 10 miles. Well, how many guards are there around this preserve? You know, how much how much are those guys making? And how do you have that money invested so that it doesn't run out? Because when you run out, what happens to these people that have grown up in what they think is 1890 and you run out of money and all of a sudden the wildlife preserve goes away and there's airplanes, planes flying overhead. That would be quite a, a shock to their system. Right. Yeah. And they could have 1970s dollars to do this. I mean, it's like worth nothing now, right? Yeah. And you're a billionaire. You could have just bought Tom Hanks's island from Castaway and have everybody move out there. <laughs> I mean, there's no planes to go out there and then you really wouldn't be able to go out and get medicine. So there's no like moral quandary about trying to go get it or not. I mean, you really would run out of stuff. So all right, we're we're kind of trashing on this a little bit hard. Um, So I'm just going to double down and throw in uh, some Roger Ebert comments. He says (laughs) the village is a colossal miscalculation, a movie based on a premise that cannot support it, a premise so transparent it would be laughable were the movie not so deadly solemn. To call the ending an anticlimax would be an insult not only to climaxes, but to prefixes. It's a crummy secret about one step up from the ladder of narrative originally from It Was All a Dream. It's so witless, in fact, that when we do discover the secret, we want to rewind the film so we don't know the secret anymore. <laughs> and it made his most hated list. So that's uh, that's Roger Ebert's take. Now, Robert, you I- opened saying that you enjoyed this film, but we've been, we've been poking yeah. on it for the last 20 minutes. Oh, it's uh, terrible. It's, it's written by a young Sham Hammer. So, you know, he's, this is his, you know, Sham Hammer's good at some things and he's terrible at other things. He's a pretty good storyteller. He's really good at atmosphere and theme and, you know, just the feel of a setting and a place and a mood. But, you know, he's not like an economist and he's, you know, and he has his limitations like everybody. Um, I, I don't, like a lot of things about the movie, but it's still a good movie to me. I still really enjoyed it. All right. All right. So ha- have we moved you at all, uh, Rachel? <laughs> is is it lost any luster for you? Or are you still holding strong on this? Yeah, I I enjoyed the movie. And just, I mean, you, you can, I can go in and pick apart a whole lot of movies. And still, and as long as I'm the one picking it apart, I'll still like it. But when you guys ruin Star Wars for me, that 
that's uh, that's unforgivable. Oh, you mean Rogue <clears throat> one? it was Rogue One, right? Rogue One, yes, yes. Mm. I love that movie until I'm like, oh crap, look at all those potholes. No, I think the but, last time you mentioned that, I I, I said I, I think I need to watch it in because I, I probably have a newfound appreciation for it, <laughs> especially compared to the other that has come out. But I read um, recently read Lysander Spooner in uh, um, Fooey. I totally forgot the No Treason and talking about how you know the people that signed the Constitution are dead. So why are we still bound by this that other people agreed to that we never agreed to? And I kind of think about that with, with this. I mean, the people that moved there voluntarily, they did so voluntarily and they agreed to this covenant voluntarily, but their kids and their grandkids, they don't have any choice. They're going to be stuck believing these lies and living in fear their whole life and having to abide by these same rules that they've set up and they don't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because it's almost similar to uh, at least my understanding of Hans Hermann Hoppe's covenant communities, where people are going to live in a free association kind of situation where you know they're going to be around people that they choose to be around and not be around people they don't choose to be around, and there's going to be different rules and laws and things that are in place within each one, and everyone's going to you know in a market based kind of situation be able to find an area that they want to be in and that has the set of rules that they want to live by, but then it comes down to the children. And I'm always a little bit fuzzy on what happens at that point. But I think it's going to be far different than as depicted in the village because it's not going to be based on lying to them and getting them mm-hmm. to be afraid. It's going to be, hey, here's where we live. Here are the rules that we abide by. And if you don't like that, then, you know, when you're of age, you can uh, move out to another area that has something that is more uh, to your liking. At least that's my understanding of it. I could be wrong. I haven't read that deeply into it. But um, uh, Robert, are you, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I am familiar. I, don't, I haven't read Hoppe. But I understand the conundrum. Do are our children bound by the rules of the society that they didn't agree to? Do they are they forced to leave? If you don't like it, you gotta leave. Or or can they just be unbound? Do they can they live there without, you know, agreeing to any of the rules and behaving according to those rules? I it's 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 difficult because human beings are social animals and we live in a society. Um, but yeah, we don't want to coerce anybody. I I think if it's a, if if the society has merit and people see the good in it, then I think people will choose to be there and go along and be just fine with it. I think human beings tend to adapt to their environment. Um, well, that's kind of what the Amish do. As far as I mean, it's it's like I think the lives they they can choose to leave, but when they leave, they have to leave everything behind. I mean, they don't they get basically cut off or shunned or whatever it's called. But I don't think they mm. lie to them. I mean, they don't say, you know, oh, there's no such thing as a car. They just said, we don't believe in cars. You're going to ride in our horse-drawn carriage. Or buttons. <laughs> buttons. Oh, and this reminds yeah, there's me. another thing. They had buttons in this movie. I was like, where are you getting the plastic for that? <laughs> Come on now. All right. So, anyway. So a, a related thing, uh, apparently another new law. We were talking about laws, new laws in the, the open here. Uh, in California now. You can only use up to 55 gallons per day per person. And I guess if you wash a load of laundry. As the good Lord intended. That's like 40 to 45 gallons right there. And a typical shower is like 18 gallons. So if you do the laundry and have a shower, you're likely in violation of. And Hmm. every day you violate is a $1,000 fine. Oh, my gosh. And if the governor has stated a state of emergency due to drought conditions, it is a 10 times fine, $10,000 per day that you go over the 55 gallon. But you well, this is just going to accelerate. Now. It's just going to accelerate California flight, right? 
Oh, it's got to. It's got to. I mean, why would you stay there if you're going to have to pay $1,000 to have a shower every day? Are they just going to, if grandma just, dies, they're going to keep her in the house and not let her know because she counts toward their $55 per day? That's exactly. Or 55 gallons per day? There's going to be that's, a huge bump in the census, the reported census. Like, oh, the market, the the market finds a way. <laughs> there's actually only two of you, but there's eight of us here. So we get, you know, 400 gallons we can use. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know like the, the ins and outs of this, but somebody posted uh, a KTLA like news, you know, discussing about it. And the, the one of the anchors was like, who the hell passed this? You know, it's uh, it's ridiculous. But anyway, well, a friend Democratic of mine is building a friend of mine is building a, a, a vet clinic out there. And I think one of the laws that passed is that they have to have a security a security system and the local police have to have access to that security system, like, you know, video cameras, security system, and the local police have to have access to it. That's one of the laws. In a veterinarian office? Like any business, I think any business um, that builds, maybe, I don't know if it's related to new construction. I didn't ask for details, but that was one of the things that she had to do is they put in, they had to put in the security system and then give the local police department access to that security system. All right. If any of you listeners are in California and you're dealing with this stuff, reach out to us and let us know if it's as bad as it sounds. Cause it sounds horrific. I can't imagine anyone wanting to live there. If this is the it's kind gotta of be one of those laws, that just is unenforceable. They're just not going to enforce it. It'll just be on the books. And then maybe in a few, maybe in key, in key, at key points and make they'll make examples out of people. But they can't just enforce that on a broad scale. They would just lose all popular support. Well, if you have to get a building permit, then they're going to know that you're doing some sort of construction. So maybe they tie it into that process. They don't, they don't, everybody is grandfathered in. But if you do any remodels or new construction or something, and now I don't, this is just for business. I don't know that it applies for residences. I can't imagine it would. Yeah. Seems like, I'll ask her for clarification on it. Seems like several violations of uh, that constitution you were talking about that. Yeah. Lysander Spooner wasn't a big fan. Yeah, that one we didn't even consent to, and now they're violating it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get back to the movie a little bit. Um, does uh, anyone have any any other additional notes here? Because I know in the open, Robert, you were saying that there's just tons of stuff to talk about. Yeah, it. there is. Yeah, uh, they 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 seem like they own property, but there's no trade. People just kind of have stuff, but at least they recognize that somebody lives in such and such house, and you know, you have your clothes and whatever. Um, I do have that in in the long term, it seems to be another short term government, you know, type of thing where the people are just thinking in the short term, because what in the long term, what do you do with population growth? Mm -hmm. You got a fixed pie here of space to use before you start bumping into fences. What do you what do you do? Are you going to start doing a one child policy? Are you going to start start killing kids? What are you what are you going to do? I I don't know. But it seems like if you. uh and I know one thing people do like to do is they like to have sex and they like to have kids. And uh, I mean, I know it's only 20 years in, but if this is, I mean, I mean, communist uh, communes don't last that long, but this one is funded by capitalism, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, and I wonder uh, how many generations deep you'd have to get before there'd be a little too much uh, like interbreeding or, you know, issues with that, like mm -hmm. the, uh, Royal families. In, Six uh, fingers and toes. Yeah. And, and part of me wanted to, I don't know, this, this is maybe a bad question, but was the Adrian Brody character, was he a result of something like that? Or was he just, you know, random uh, disorder kind of thing? Like he's got like this mental issue. Well, I think his parents were a couple in that picture, like the picture from the 1970s yeah. or whenever. So I, I guess maybe he was just born slow. Or maybe there was some sort of childhood ailment that penicillin would have cured 
and this is the result. I, I thought it was interesting that um, that the guy was a, an American history professor, and it's kind of like you must not have been a very good history professor if this was your this was your ideal situation for your children and grandchildren. Yeah, to exist in. Like, let's go back to before air all these time-saving inventions. <laughs> yeah, air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. Indoor like, plumbing. <laughs> hmm. Oh, geez. Yeah, electricity. I mean, yeah. But you would think of an American history professor. Well, all right, I'm giving well, them probably well, too much credit. You would think they would know a little bit more about socialist paradises and how they don't last. Well, I was taking a shower today, and I was. It just struck me like I would not give this up. This hot shower feels so good. There's got to be some secret hot shower place in this village because you wouldn't want to give that up. Nobody would be giving that up. These people haven't bathed in warm water unless they're like, you know, firing a tub and then getting in. I guess that's how that people used to do it. But and once you've had a hot shower, you can't go back. Right. Yeah. That's another angle I didn't even consider because there was a movie we were talking about not that long ago where uh, we asked each other. All right. If you if you had to go back and live in that period of time, whatever the other movie we were talking about was, I don't know. Was it Back to the Future? We're talking about the 80s or the 50s. Yeah, it was Back to the Future. We're talking about if you have to if you had to go back and live at the 50s lifestyle versus what we have today or what we would have had in 1986. And and I don't I don't think any of us said we prefer to go back as far as like the modern conveniences that are now available to us. And in fact, I wouldn't even want to go back to the 80s. Like no, I don't want to go back five years. You know? No, why would you? Yeah, like things no. are so much better now. Things are just better. People are constantly serving each other in the market and creating better and better inventions to make our lives more and more convenient and just improve them all the time. And it's easy to get spoiled, but you just have to go back in time and go, oh no, this this sucks. This is this is terrible. Why would anybody want to do this? And they're yeah. voluntarily, these are basically anarcho-primitivists who think that, you know, this is going to be awesome sauce. But what they don't realize is, well, maybe they do realize and think it's awesome, but they're just like, like Tom Hanks and Castaway, they're just spending all day long just eking by because we don't have the wealth that technology creates for us yet. So, and trade, trade and technology. And the women have to wear bustles. Who would voluntarily do that? Like, and wear a skirt all the time. Gross. Yeah. And you can't wear red. I mean, what, what's going yeah. on here? Well, that was part of but, their, part of their religion, you know, part of their, yeah. their fear mongering. Oh, well, sure. But anyway, um, I took personal offense that they hated money. I mean, I understand the guy had a, a bad experience with his father getting killed because of a dispute over money. But it seems like like almost all people, they don't understand what money is because they don't seem to have a problem with the accumulation of stuff. Like stuff is just stored wealth and, and money is just a storage of wealth that's easily traded. So, you know, what's what's the inherent problem? Well, and that greed you're and solving? envy. Yeah, greed and envy aren't limited to just cash. You know, Adrian Brody's character stabbed Joaquin Phoenix over a girl. You know, so it's not just it's not just money that is the that is the root cause of all evil. Right. Yeah, Daniel. So, what did you take away from this movie? That the that the mentally challenged people are going to come and get us. They're they're dangerous, <laughs> but you can uh, throw them into a hole and you're going to be all right. <laughs> have have them fall in on their own. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm not really sure what to take away from this movie. And I felt that way uh, in some of our recent movies and we end up, always end up having a pretty good discussion anyway. Um, but for this one, I guess, you know, you mentioned that this was M. Night Shyamalan's like one of his early films. And I feel like he was kind of maybe running low on his juice for this one because Signs had a little bit more of a pull to it. And of course, The Sixth Sense was really good. And, and you could see those things kind of unfolding 
or in watching it again, you and then knowing what the twist was in watching it again, then you could see all the signs for it. And I thought as I was watching this one that the the chests and the furniture and the other things that they seemed to have the camera set on for an inordinate extra beat or two in the lead up was going to be more significant than just, oh, that's where they put all their newspaper clippings and stuff from, you know, the 1980s or 70s or whatever. Like it seemed kind of cheesy. Yeah. And, and I mean, are those kids not curious at all? Because I have a 10 year old and if he sees a lock, he's going to find something to try and get that thing open. <laughs> so their their kids must be a lot less curious than mine is. Well, they use fear to keep them out of like that shed, right? The shed that shall not be opened and the things that shall not be talked about. You know? Yes, it's the box in the corner that, you know, shall not be mentioned. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, and um, do you think that the one daughter being blind, was that a necessary component to make the tension work in this movie? Like you couldn't have done this without there being the blind daughter. I think she well, had to be blind because otherwise the gig would have been up when she saw the car and the road and all that. Yeah. But it, I, I think that the ending falls flat with the tension aspects. I mean, the, the finale where she's fighting with Adrian Brody, it's like, we know they're fake. She knows they're fake. What's, what's the drama? I don't, I don't get it. And, and then you, I mean, is Adrian Brody really going to try and hurt her there? Probably not. So I, that, that wasn't scary or dangerous or anything. I didn't fear for her safety at that point. You know, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, maybe the things are real because I didn't know what the final twist was. Mm -hmm. So I had thought that maybe the elders had adopted the the look of the monsters and the monsters were real. They just hadn't seen one in a long time. So they had to perpetuate it themselves by dressing up like these long clawed monsters. So because I kept thinking, oh, there's going to be some alien shit, you know, ancient aliens <laughs> at the end. Uh, and I was been watching too much ancient aliens. Yeah. But I thought that was gonna be the actual twist. Like, like, Oh, here's the psych twist. Like, Oh yeah. You know, the elders, we all made this up, but the real twist is it's actually real. You know, the elders just take it and took it and run, ran with it, you know? So were you surprised at any point then? Well, or were you just disappointed when you, when you were surprised? I was disappointed when, when it was finally revealed that it was the Adrian Brody character chasing her around dressed up like yeah. that. But I guess he also had to be the way he was. Otherwise, why, if, if he was just a normal guy who was jealous and like apparently wanted to harm her for whatever reason, why would he bother dressing up if she's blind and he knows it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's why I thought maybe it was like a, an actual like there's actually going to be a monster in this because it was, I recall, promoted as a horror film. Yeah, they definitely played up the horror angle, um, but I don't know if it was specifically horror. I mean, I, I don't know. Would you call any of his movies horror? I don't think so. They're more suspense. Mm hmm. Although they did play up, I think you yeah, have signs, you know, the tension and like ooh, the aliens are scary, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah I guess signs was, was also like right before this. So maybe that's where I was also looking for aliens. Like, oh, maybe he's got a little mm -hmm. thing going here because in, in he's going to keep doing aliens, aliens, well, aliens, aliens. He's, he's a dead. He's dead. Right. So Who? it's like Bruce Willis. Spoilers, everyone. Bruce Willis Good is dead in in the sixth sense. And that is an interesting take or an interesting twist. And then in signs, you know, it's a, it's aliens. And, and I guess that's an interesting twist. Like it's something supernatural, whatever. But in this one, they're trying to make it like this kind of like, oh, it's just a group of uh, do-gooders who has a, a rich benefactor. And um, yeah, they're, uh, you know, lying to their kids and letting their kids die as a result of the lies. I mean, this one's as unrealistic as it is for all the reasons you've mentioned, Robert. But this is the one that has the least amount of like supernaturalness to it. Which is the twist. That's yeah. the twist. That's the twist that that it's like fucking boring. That it's normal. 
This is a good allegory for government and central planning and why it's bad. Yeah. The tyranny of good intentions. This is this is not a happy story, but yet the the people in it, the 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 elders seem to think that they're doing a good thing still. They don't learn anything from their mistakes. Yeah, they're just going to continue the line. Yeah. At the end of the movie, they're just like, yeah, let's keep it going, baby. They think they think they've created a good thing and that it's necessary. At some point, they're having a little crisis of conscience or they think, you know, maybe this place should die or it's going to die out of its own merit or whatever. But then they're ultimately they're like, yeah, this place is good. We're going to keep it going. And it's obviously not good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's terrible. Now, let's take it forward, you know, another 10 years. What happens when these elders start dying off? So they've done all this to perpetuate the lie even more. Joaquin, who is their chosen successor, is now apparently recovered due to the miracle of the blind girl going to the town. And penicillin that cures all multiple stab wounds. <laughs> right. But wouldn't he be pretty pissed once he's told, so, hey, Joker, all right, so we're going to be passing the torch to you. Uh, so that whole episode you went through of getting stabbed and nearly dying and we almost let you die because, you know, we couldn't like break up the lie here. Um, that was all for show. This is why he's disillusioned with life and he turns to a life of crime. <laughs> this is how he becomes, this is the alternate Joker origin story. That's right. Okay. All right. It's, so it's, it's, it's all part of the same universe. <laughs> the village and Joker are in the same universe. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a, it's a utopian situation that just isn't going to work out basically. Well, eventually you're going to run out of stuff. I mean, unless they have shipments in the middle of the night by the mm-hmm. park ranger employee people who apparently don't even know what's inside. So how are they getting stuff? Because they're not making it. What happens when something breaks? Even if they built everything in the 70s, stuff still breaks. It wears down. And well, you're going to have more human beings. So you're going to need more stuff. Each new group of people are going to need another house. When you have two kids, they get married. They're going to want to have their own house. So where are you building the house from? Are you going to cut down some trees? Okay, fine. You can't go into the stone. woods to do that. You can't go into the woods, cut down trees. You can't. You don't have a quarry, so you're not going to be cutting stone. Where are you getting the paint for your walls? Or for your ominous warnings on the doors. <laughs> Who's cutting your hair with what? Scissors? Who's making this? I mean, there's just all kinds of a million and one logistical problems. That's what I'm dealing with these days, is logistical problems. And uh, it seems like uh, they're just hand-waving away all these problems, all these real-world issues that comes with creating some magical fantasy land society in the woods. All right, now, I think there was a scene where Joaquin was working uh, some metalwork, like on a forge or something. Oh, I guess that's true. I forgot about that. He had some skills in creating and and or repairing something. And uh, I read that uh, Shyamalan had all of the principal actors go through a several-week-long like living in this Amish style to acclimate them to it. And during that phase, Joaquin actually made the walking stick or the blind stick, whatever you call that, um, for the uh, Bryce. Bryce uh, yeah, for her character. And it had uh, her name in it. Ivy was engraved into it. So Good job, Joker. Joker's got some, <laughs> some mad production skills for the 1890s era here. Well, right on. Well, you're still going to have to get that steel from somewhere. I don't care if you can make it or not. You still have to get it from somewhere. We, we're... Where's the mine where they're mining up all this ore? Just, just mm-hmm. let me know where you're getting it. Right. And and we assume that they're raising uh, animals to eat them, right? The livestock? You'd but have to. to perpetuate the lie, they, they kill all of them. So if they're using that to protect the lie, to protect the society, to be able to perpetuate the, the society, now they're going to go vegan? No, no, no. You just, after you throw that leg of lamb in the woods, 
you just have somebody in a monster costume go and grab it, bring it back to the house, put it on the dinner table, and act like it's not the same one. That's what you do. Come on. This is 101 lying to kids. Come on. But now you got no livestock, so they're just going to go go meatless? Well, they got they had some vegetables, yeah. Like that new Burger some... King burger, right? Isn't mm. there a meatless burger? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Where I, some I... guy is suing them. Why is he suing them? He's suing them because it's like not 100% vegetarian or something or it's there's it's made on the same you know grill that's got oh, whatever yeah. whatever and he was like what how you dare think, you yeah you think they're gonna put in a, a separate griddle for your impossible whopper all right so I, I there's a tweet that apparently went out it says this soy burger that burger king has been peddling has enough estrogen in it to make a man grow a pair of tits and permanently <laughs> vote for the far left if that's not election interference then i don't know what to do. <laughs> All right. So on that note, um, we should probably <laughs> do the final summary interview unless you guys got anything else you want to throw out there. I think that covers everything that I wanted to talk about. I yeah, no, I, I think we covered central, it all. Like, like Robert said, central planning, you know, the the hell of good intentions or the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think they had good intentions, but eventually it's all going to come crumbling down around them. Yeah. And I think that's the very nature of trying to plan society, trying to craft it. Um and thinking that you have all of the answers for everything, uh, even as a you know the elders, the council or whatever, uh, you don't have enough knowledge to make it all function. Like eventually, you're going to start having failures and, and problems that arise that you can't solve for because you're you're manipulating people and not allowing them free choice and and fully informed um, the the capacity to make decisions on their own. And you're doing it to people you love. You're doing it to your own children. I mean, at least government's doing it to somebody they don't even know. But these people are like, you know, we're going to lie to our own kids. It's going to be messed up. We're going to mess with their minds. Yeah. And we're going to create this great utopia out of it with these people with messed up brains. That are terrified. How's that going to work out there, Freud? Yeah, and let them die. Which Yeah, let them die. Well, it's God's will. I mean, what what kind of utopia, what kind of like utopia is that if if you're trying to rid the world of violence or rid your your world, right? Your insulated world of violence, but then you're per- perpetuating or you're, you're perpetrating like a, a kind of violence, psychological trauma mm-hmm. and allowing, you know, medical things that are preventable, um, killing your kids. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of fucked up. Well, we have, we have a tackled that question that before, haven't we? When, what, where there's the duty for the parent to seek medical care for their child or whatever. Yeah. And I know there are certain, um, religions or, or, beliefs that other people have that that they don't want to have any intervention uh in medical intervention in any in any way with their kids and that always becomes an issue um every now and again like when it it gets into the news cycle yeah because a doctor will you know report it or whatever and then a government will come in and claim that you can't do that and we're gonna force this kid to undergo certain treatments and stuff yeah i got an an email about that um earlier well over the weekend somebody was wanting had recommend I reach out to somebody who's they had tried traditional chemotherapy and they sent her daughter home on hospice. And so she tried this regimen of uh, CBD or something. I I can't remember because I have a two second memory and, uh, and it worked and the tumor shrank. And now the doctors are like, Oh, well let's go in and do this super risky surgery on your child's liver that may damage her liver to the point that it never works again. And then that, you know, affects your lifespan. And she didn't want to do it. I think you're talking about the exact same one I was thinking of. Um, yeah. Where a girl was terminal or whatever, and the doctors were essentially like, okay, she's going to die. Just send mm-hmm. her home. There's nothing you can do. But then they tried alternative therapies. I think it was CBD. And then she got better. 
And then, so then like, oh, great. She's better now. So now we can, we can force you to do undergo this, this procedures. And yeah. the mom was like, um, no, I, I think we're just fine. And then, yeah, they were like, no, we're, we're, we're taking your kid and we're going to do it. And so I think the mother was trying to fight it, of course. And mm-hmm. I was like, just get out of there, leave. But, she did. She did. Oh, she the, did. FBI, the FBI tracked her down and put her, oh, her kid in foster care. And now they're going to force her to have this risky medical procedure. I mean, yeah, I just, story. it's terrible. It's, I mean, we had um, a child that was basically kidnapped by CPS here in Texas because they wanted a second opinion from another doctor and the doctor who gave them the first opinion didn't like the fact that they wanted a second opinion. So they got CPS involved. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I don't think we're going to solve the issues here, but we can solve wrapping up this uh, discussion on this movie. So Robert, why don't you lead us off with a uh, final summary review and your score out of 10. Okay. Well, I'm guessing you're going to score this one pretty poorly, but I think this is well acted, well directed, well written as far as, you know, the story he wanted to tell. I think it's a really cool concept that doesn't play obviously in the real world. If you think about all the logistical problems that we have listed out here in this episode, but you know, when you're crafting a film, I don't even know if necessarily real world implications should be the foremost thing in your mind. I think you need to tell a story, a compelling story about characters that, you know, grow and change and you do interesting things and make hard decisions. And I think that movie, this movie succeeded in that aspects. And I think Sham Hammer is a, at least it was a good director and he has good concepts for films and he's really good with mood and tone and atmosphere. And uh, this is, I think, prime Shyamalan. I think this is probably my, either my first or my second favorite of his films. I think he's kind of turned to crap these days. Um, I know he's kind of returned to form a little bit with like, I guess, uh, the grandma movie, the grandparents film, and maybe some of the split stuff that he's been doing lately, a little bit lower budget stuff. But um, yeah, that Will Smith train wreck movie. I don't know if anybody saw that or the, that last airbender movie that was supposedly terrible, but now we're not talking about those movies right now. We're talking about village. And uh, I, I, I think it's a good movie. I really enjoyed it despite all the fallacies and all the horrific stuff. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's like a 7.5. I, I really, I think it's, I think it's a good entertainment. As long as you don't expect it to be perfect. I think you're going to have a good time. That's what I give it. All right. I'll, I'll have one follow-up question to that. And that is, is this your initial watch review rating or is this after knowing the turn and then watching it again? Like, would you give it two different scores? Like one for the watching virgin and the other for having seen it and then watching it again, knowing what the, it's been 15 years since I, the the watching virgin saw it. So I have no idea this. I'm going to have to rely on you for that score. This is me rewatching it already knowing the twist. Um, and just seeing it unfold before my eyes and seeing how he played it. You know, it obviously doesn't have the impact the second time around. None of his movies do because you already know, but you can still appreciate the craft and the acting and the writing and whatnot. Okay. All right. So let's go with the, uh, the version's opinion here. So I, in watching this, I was not knowing exactly what to expect. I was, I knew it was Shyamalan and I knew that there was going to be a twist of some sort. And I knew that there was the, um, the general idea of the Amish kind of angle and, and the um, how do I say this? I thought they were going with, okay, how, how does this society interact with each other? And that was what we were going to be looking at. And so that's what I was trying to focus on. Uh, and so that's why I didn't notice a lot of the issues that, uh, you know, where did all this stuff come from? Um, and I guess I'll say that 
for the most part, I, I enjoyed the acting and the <laughs> Joaquin's good and Adrian Brody's good and William Hurt's good. Lex Luthor, come on now. He had like a couple lines. He's he had, like, doing great lines. in this movie. I oh yeah, I forgot to I forgot to tell you to point that out that he was in there. Yeah, Jesse Eisenberg. I thought he would be more. Um, I thought he was going to be more involved with the turn or with the climax rather than it being the Adrian Brody guy. But I was really thinking there was going to be something more supernatural, something crazier, something more uh, impactful as far as like make this story kind of make more sense. Because by trying to play it straight and try to play it more realistic with all the issues that you were talking about, I just, it falls flat for me. So I'm going to go like a five. I just, I'm, I'm glad we watched it. We had a good discussion about it. It brings up that whole, you know, the best of intentions and the fact that you can't centrally plan your way to improve society. You're, you're only going to cause more problems. And it is an allegory for the state and for trying to keep people um, in uh, infant infantilized kind of state, kind of keeping them in fear and seeking your protection from, from the elders or the state. Uh, so that's a, that's a very good angle. But as far as a movie goes, it kind of has so many holes in it and so many contrivances to try to hold it together. I just, I think it falls flat compared to, his previous work. I haven't seen any of his more recent stuff, but I did hear that the, um, whatever the new trilogy is, Unbreakable, Split, and Glass is supposed to be pretty good. I haven't seen the latest one of those. Um, I remember seeing Unbreakable way back in the day. I remember it being super slow, but uh, who knows? I, I'm not the biggest Shyamalan fan these days. I, I like his older, early stuff. Yeah, he kind of came out like a rocket uh, with, with The Sixth Sense and then kind of used that cachet for a while and then it kind of burned out a bit. All right. Rachel, let's go with you on and your uh, summary and review, please. I enjoyed it. I I think it's I think it's pretty to watch. I think the colors and the color schemes and the contrast with the yellow and the red. I, I think it's fun to watch as far as visually. Uh, the story it's really easy to pick it apart. But I mean, I guess the first time I was like you, Daniel, the first time I watched it, I didn't pick it apart so much because I was just kind of looking for the plot twist as opposed to paying attention to all these other external things. But I would say probably before I watched it today, I probably would have rated it like an eight or so. And I'm probably closer to a five. Uh, no, not a five, but like maybe a six or a seven. But I enjoyed it. This is only the second time I've watched it. So it's, you know, it's not at the top of my watch list, but it's fun to watch. And, and it's fun to to think. I, I think there is a supernatural element because these people have managed to live in peace and harmony for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're seeing the same people every day. You probably want to, punch him in the face a few times <laughs> yeah and especially you when you're sharing, especially when you're sharing everything you've got a, a communal garden and all the animals all the livestock stay in one building you know i just don't know how that would work for 20 years and how are they allocating is like to each according to his need to each according mm-hmm. to his ability is that what's going on here right yeah so this is like that onion article about the uh, communist department no one does anything yeah that just doesn't do the dishes <laughs> it just falls to shit yeah <laughs> Yeah, so the fancy, the fantasticalness of this is that it's it's apparently working for the two decades. It's a working communist utopia. <laughs> That's the the fantastical element. All right. Well, very good. Well, Rachel, thank you for for being our guest for this one and for recommending it. We had a very excellent discussion with you. People can find you and your work at cannabisheelsme.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love to have you back again sometime in the near future. Right. Uh, it's always fun. I said in uh, our pre-show, which is available for our Patreon supporters, as well as the Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which we do after, um, that uh, we have made a news resolution to only have uh, more diversity in our guest count for this year. So you are, um, we are 100% women guests so far this year. So our track record is really good. But 
Uh, Robert, I'm afraid we're going to ruin that record. No. As soon as I made it um, by having Scott Morrison on next week to talk about Enemy at the Gates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sniper film with um, oh, what's his name? That guy. With that guy doing the stuff. Talking yeah, the thing with the, the with the gun. You know, that one. Yeah, it's I'm sure it's going to be good. Commies versus Nazis. It's going to be a great discussion. And I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't seen the movie yet. I just saw the trailer and I was like, oh, that looks good. So that's what we're going to do next week. Enemy at the Gates. And this has been The Village with Rachel from Cannabis Heals Me. Um, episode, what is this? One oh, is 105, right? Is that the right episode number? It must be. It's got to be. Anyway. Uh, this has been The Last Nighters, and you can also find it at the Launchpad Media. Uh, stick around for uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive if uh, if you guys are down with that. And uh, we will be back next week with Enemy at the Gates. We'll say goodnight from last Peace. night. Peace. days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.